Grace and peace to you from God our Father who made us and God the Son, our Savior, who saved us. And God the Holy Spirit who has brought us to faith and made this his temple where he lives and dwells. Dear Christian friends, we are wrapping up our, our series today that we've been going through over the, the month of January all about habits, right? As we talked about putting, putting pieces into place to hit these goals, these uh, resolutions, if you will. And if you remember, we talked about how habits are these just small steps, just little increments that done regularly over time, they end up with, with big results, And so we've looked at how that applies to our spiritual lives and how God wants us to fix our eyes on him. How how God wants us to to see the things that are unseen, right? Which sounds so contradictory and counter whatever. And yet to see with eyes of faith all that God does for us, how God graciously forgives us, how he answers our prayers, and to focus our hearts on him as we, as we study his word together and as we put into practice this habit of, of time, in God, time with God in his word and in prayer on a daily basis. We've looked at how it applies to our emotional lives. We saw that last week our, uh, as we take every thought, right? Not just the, the thoughts of our head, but the thoughts of our hearts as well. And we make them captive to Christ. That, that we identify those emotions, that we validate them, and that then we align them with the truth of God and his word. And so that brings us today to the third big area of our lives that we're talking about with habits. And it's one that if we stop and think about it, it's probably pretty logical that this one is a part of the series, even if it's something we don't necessarily think of at church. But if you remember the very first week, I, I threw up 10 resolutions, right? This was top 10 resolutions from 2019, a, a survey of thousands of people. And this, these are the 10 most common answers. And so if you're wondering why we're talking about training our bodies, talking about our physical health, well, you only need to look at that list and realize that half of them have to do with your physical health. And probably actually even more significant is the fact that in the, in the survey of thousands of people who had this in their list of goals or resolutions for the year, that 71% of people said they wanted to eat healthier, right? They didn't, they didn't put a magic number or something like that, but they had eat better, eat healthier. Personal health is almost three quarters of the people, of thousands of people surveyed. Almost two-thirds of people said they wanted to exercise more. Almost 50% of people said they wanted to lose weight, right? And then you get quit smoking, drink less alcohol. The point is, pretty much most people, at least, recognize that there is something that they want to do to better their physical lives. That there is this, that I know if I did this, it would be a good thing. I'd be healthier maybe even happier. The idea, the funny part is, why are we talking about this in church? Right? These aren't necessarily things that are foreign concepts to us. You've probably thought them. In fact, you've probably said them. You've, you've probably even said something about that list, right? I, wanna, I need to eat a little better. I need, to, I need to quit drinking so many beers. I need to whatever. I need to exercise more. You've probably said that. My guess is in the last three months. 
Maybe in the last three weeks, maybe in the last three days. But we don't usually connect that with church. We connect it with seeing a doctor, or maybe a nutritionist, or maybe even a personal trainer, right? But why are we talking about it here? Well, there's actually a really simple reason. It's kind of the big idea for our, for our whole worship today. It's our first takeaway. It's that the way that I use, and therefore the way that I, train, or I treat my body, is important to God. Not just to me. It's important to God. In fact, we're going to take a look at this morning how this is actually it actually goes back to the very foundation of what we believe, of, of the, the heart of Christianity. Like, it's not some kind of weird one-off pastor found one Bible verse that talks about how we use our bodies, and that's what the message is on today. It's actually a core component of Christianity. Now, to go back to those, those goals for just a moment... The, those were in the top 10 in 2019. They were probably in the top 10 in 2018 and 17 and 16 and 15. They're probably in the top 10 in 2000, in 1980, probably this year too. If those are so often such common goals, why are they things that, that we just can't get, like that we just can't do? Why is it something that if... if Eating better is something we know is good for us. Why don't we do it? And not just why don't we do it, because we do, like for three days, maybe two weeks, and then we go, oh, this is really hard, right? Whole 30, forget it, we're doing whole 10. Why is that so hard to do, to, to put into practice this habit that we know is good for us? And I think it has a lot to do with motivation. It's not that we don't want to. It's that we say, I'm going to do this. But then we get sidetracked because life happens. That You go on a business trip and pff, you get like next to no sleep and you get screwed up for a whole week and then you got a whole week screwed up of sleep when you come back. You, you end up going out for a couple of business lunches and boom, diet out the window, right? Eating better, gone. You say, I'm going I'm to exercise more regularly, and then somebody gets sick, or you get sick. Or something happens at work, and you're swamped, and there's just no way I can get to the gym. There's no way I can get outside for a walk. And what happens when those, things, when those events occur? Because they do, right? But we don't have the motivation to get going again, and here's why. Because our motivation is me. My motivation to do better so often is me. It's just, I want to look better. I want to feel better. Maybe it's not pure, like pure vanity, hopefully not. But I want to look better or feel better, but it's just me. And so when I don't, the only person it affects is me. At least that's what I tend to think. But that thinking actually, as we're going to see today, is missing a big, big, much bigger picture. Because what if our motivation was something, someone much, much bigger, someone much, much more powerful, and it connected with our lives, and not just our soul, but our, 
bodies as well, that when we put into practice habits for our physical health, that it serves God in a good way. Because if we care about our motivation, if we realize that our motivation is beyond just how I feel today or how much energy I have or how tired I am, if we realize that that impacts our spiritual lives and then as a result impacts how we live the purpose that we have in life, that that's more than just me, that that's for God, well, it might just change not just how we see ourselves, Right? like we talked about in the children's message, but also how we care for ourselves and how we live with the bodies and the lives that God has given us. There's a section of the Bible where it, it talks about that. It connects the idea of our spiritual well-being with our physical bodies. It's a section from Romans and if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he would go around and he would start these churches, right? He would teach about Jesus. He would explain that this is what this looks like as Christians as we, as we live and move and have our being and we do all these things and we trust what God has done for us. And then he would move on to, an, to another city and he would do the same thing and he would get a report that this is how that church is doing. They're going through this. They're struggling with this. And he would write them a letter to correct them or instruct them or, or encourage them. But there's one exception to that, and it's the letter to the Romans, because Paul never actually made it to Rome, at least not to plant a church. And so the book of Romans is just jam-packed with everything that Paul would normally do when he's there in the city. It's, it's from beginning to end, this beautiful explanation of who God is and what God has done and what that means for us and what that looks like in our lives. And so we, you find verses like, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are freely justified by God's grace, right? Romans 3. And then you get to what does that look like in a section like this from Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 6, that talks about how we treat our bodies. Paul says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Who was crucified? Jesus, right? Was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, Paul starts off by talking about this old self, right? This part of us that we actually mentioned this morning in our worship already, this, uh, in, our, in our confession of sins, right? Where we admit that we are broken sinners, and we use the line that we are hardwired for sin. That's, that's the old self. That there's this component of us that because we are born from two sinful people, there is no way two imperfect people can have a, a perfect child. Sorry to spoil it for you parents. And that means that you are, were born into this world not perfect. You are born into this world in sin and rebellious to God. But notice what he says. That old self, it was crucified with Jesus. See, sometimes we want to go, oh, yeah, well, I'm a sinner, so that's what happens. That's what you get, God, right? It's all, it's all okay. I'm just, that's who I am. And God says, no, that part of you, yeah, it's in there. But look at what, what God did with it. 
It's as if when Jesus was executed, when he was crucified, that you were crucified. That you were crucified with him. That that sinful part of you died on that cross with Jesus. Right? That's the whole reason Jesus came. He wasn't deserving of punishment. The Bible says clearly, unequivocally, he was without sin. He was perfect. His enemies knew that, right? That's why they tried so, so hard to trap him and trick him. When they put him on trial, they couldn't make a single accusation stick. Not even the lies. Not even the, the false witnesses could actually get a charge to stick against him because he was sinless. He was perfect. He deserved no punishment, and yet he was punished for you and for me and for all people for our sins and the amazing thing is that God says when he Jesus was punished because it was for us it was as if we that part of us was with him there on the cross that when Jesus was abandoned by God, it was as if we, that part of us, was separated from God for eternity. That when Jesus died, that part of us died. And so in the eyes of God the Father, it looked like that part of you is dead and gone. And so when he sees you, he sees something totally different. Not a rebellious, sin-filled monster but he sees someone who is in christ because that old self is dead and is gone and what does that mean what does that look like what's the what's the uh result of that well he says as a result we should no longer be slaves to sin now that word slave is a very loaded word in our culture right it's got a lot of baggage, a lot of connotation. It's something that you don't throw around e lightly or easily. And so it's a word that maybe you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I sin. I, I mean, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I fail. But whoa, whoa, that's a strong word. I mean, I may, I may hand sin the keys to the car occasionally, but I still own the car. The problem is that if you know how you want to be treated, right? You know the things that are good for you. You know the things, this is what I want to do. But you don't do it? Does that sound like freedom or slavery? It doesn't sound like freedom, does it? When you know what you want to do, but you can't do it, that someone or something is preventing you from doing that, that does not sound like freedom. That sounds an awful lot like slavery, like you're being controlled by someone or something else. And that goes both ways. We're talking about our, our physical bodies, right? The, the struggle, why, why is it so hard to keep, you know, to, to be careful of what I eat or how much I drink or, you know, wh whatever good thing I want to do, why is that so hard? Or the other side of it, that you worry constantly and you obsess over every single thing that goes into your body and every little detail about your body. And, and both of those, they're not freedom, are they? You are, you are enslaved to living for something, for someone besides who you want you to be. 
So is it possible that your view of yourself actually isn't reality? No, 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 pastor. I, I know me better than anybody else. I would never have a, a, a skewed or misguided view of myself. You might think you know yourself better than anyone else, but that's not actually true because you didn't make you. There's someone who knows you better than anyone else. There's someone who made you, right? The Bible says, who knit you together intricately, intimately, beautifully. God knows all of your strengths, all of your weaknesses. God knows your, your personality traits. He knows your, your character flaws. He knows all those things. He knows how sin affects your heart. He knows the things that you are tempted by, not because he made you to be tempted by them, but he knows you so well, so perfectly. And so what if, as a result, no matter how much you want to deny it, that, that you are actually a slave to sin? That as a result, then, you can't treat yourself the way you want to be treated, much less the way that your Father in heaven who made you wants you to treat yourself. See, that's because sin isn't just a behavior. Sin is really everything that leads to death. The Bible says that, right? The wages of sin is death. And so sin, if sin is your master... The grave is always looming. And that's terrifying. And that fear can motivate us, right? And, and often it does. You go to the doctor and your cholesterol's high. I gotta do something. So you take the drugs for three weeks. Eh, I'm feeling better. You exercise really hard, but I just don't have time. That fear is a really good motivator for a short time, but it's terrible in the long term. And yet that grave is always looming, isn't it? It's always there and it's always scary. And if the kingdom of your heart is ruled by sin, then, then death is all that you have to look forward to. But that's not the way it is. Because look what, look what Paul says in verse 7. That we should no longer be slaves to sin, and why not? Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And remember what he said before? You died. You, spiritually speaking, you died. When Jesus died on the cross, you died. And because you died, you're free. So you're free from sin, right? Free from death. But what are you free for? Well, that's verses 8 and 9. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death has no mastery over him. Here are the massive implications. Freed not just from death, but freed for life. Freed for life. And look what he says, it adds on to that in verse 10. The life he, Jesus, died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus died once for all. He was innocent and yet he paid the price for you and me and all people. And now he lives and he lives to God. For God. The life that God also then gives to you. 
This, though, is really hard. This is like one of those deep theological thoughts, right, that Paul is talking about here. It's fixing our eyes on things that we can't see with our physical eyes because it's seeing beyond this life. It's seeing beyond what I see, the here and the now, the number on the scale, whatever it is. It's seeing beyond even the grave. And it's seeing to real life. It's a really deep theological thought, but its implication is important and powerful. Take a look at verse 11. In the same way, so that's what Jesus did. Now, in the same way, you count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Jesus died, and he lives again. He cannot die, not, a, not, the, not the kind of death that the world thinks of, but eternally, spiritually, right? That's gone. And, and the same is true for you, right? He says, in the same way, count yourself, see yourself this way. Dead, as far as sin goes. Gone, done with. And now alive, with real life, with a real purpose, that goes beyond just however many breaths I have left on this, left on this earth, but, but for eternity. To view yourself this way differently because of what God has done for you. Because of what Jesus has done for you. Because you are in Christ Jesus. See, this is an entirely different perspective on your value, on your life. It's a much, much bigger one. It, it changes motivation. It changes why we live, not just how we live. In Christ, the payment for sin has already been made, and you have this amazing gift of life. And so God wants that to affect, then, the way you look at not just the world, but the way you look at yourself. That brings us to our second takeaway this morning, that God wants me to see myself, the way that he sees me. So how is that? How does God see you? He doesn't see the wrinkles. He doesn't see the, the sin-filled stains. Instead, when he looks at you, because of faith in Jesus, he sees Jesus. And so he sees beauty. He sees perfection. He sees his dearly and deeply loved child. He sees his follower that wants to walk in the footsteps of his heavenly father. Is that how you see you? Or do you look in the mirror and do this? Do you see the flaws inside and out? And that's all you see. It probably wouldn't be surprising. In fact, that's my guess. Probably more the norm than we'd like to admit. That we tend to only see our flaws, our failures. That we see the, the brokenness of ourselves instead of the beauty that God sees because of Jesus. And there are a number of problems with this hyper self-criticism. But the one that really ties in with, with today that I want to talk about is value. 
So I want you to imagine for a moment that you stuck around after worship today, and I said, hey, would you help me? I've got to carry these two things out to my car. Yeah, sure. One of them is a box, just a cardboard box, and inside of it is all of these, all the, the leftover worship folders from today. And the other one is this beautiful, brand-new, crystal-etched baptismal font. A bowl, right, that, that's beautiful and reflects the light. And the box filled with used worship folders, leftovers, right, de destined for the recycling bin at my house. We probably don't carry that very carefully, right? Maybe one-handed if you drop it. Oh, well, it's not the end of the world, right? Maybe even just toss it into the back seat or the trunk of my car because, well, their value is gone. Their purpose has already been, been used, right? That's done, that's passed, they're just done. But that crystal bowl? Oh, now, I'm not just going to lick the frosting off my fingers and touch that, right? I'm going to actually go wash my hands. And then I'm going to use two hands and I'm going to carry that carefully and I'm not putting that in the trunk. I'm, I'm putting that in the front seat, and I'm going to pack, pack in around it so it doesn't tip. I might even seatbelt it in because you don't know how carefully I drive. Now, the, the difference, what's the difference, right? It's, it's obvious in the way that we treat these things. But the difference is not just the way we treat them. It's the why we treat them differently. It's because of their value. These bulletins, they, their value is done. Now they're just pieces of paper to be recycled. But that crystal bowl, that's, it's new and it's pretty. And it's, right, we, we handle it ultra carefully. Because here's the reality, it's our third takeaway. That I, I mistreat things that I perceive have no value. That might be the worship folders. That might be your body. And that doesn't mean that like, you intentionally mistreat them, like you tear them up, the worship folders, and throw it away, or that you, you intentionally inflict harm on yourself. You just don't treat it carefully because you see that it doesn't actually matter. It has no purpose. It has no value. But here's the point. God, my body is precious to God. God wants you to see you differently, to see this differently not wrinkles and pounds and whatever else. Not, not with muscles and pride. God wants you to look at yourself and go, look at what God has made me. Fingers, toes, parts that move when I tell them to move, lips that communicate. God says all of that is precious to him because he made it. And not only did he make it, he redeemed it. That's one of those theological words, right? When you go through faith builders, we hear that word. We hear it sometimes in the Bible. We sing it on Easter. I know that my Redeemer lives. To redeem something, well, you see that word if you use coupons, right? It means to simply buy back. And that's what God has done. He has bought you back. Jesus bought you back. And the Bible says it wasn't with gold, not with silver, but with Jesus holy, precious blood with his innocent suffering and death. He died to buy you back. But he didn't just buy back your soul so that for eternity you'd just be like this soul floating around. He bought you back your whole life, body 
and soul, right? That's why we rejoice that we're going with Job, that we're going to stand on the last day, that God is going to raise our bodies imperishable, not able to die, because Jesus bought this, all of it, the whole package, so that all of it is precious to him, and all of it lives for him. That's an important thing to wrap our heads around. Because how would you treat your body if you knew the price that was paid for it? Would you treat it differently? Would you use that as motivation to do the things that you say, you know what, I know that this will leave me healthier, which will give me more years, God willing, to serve him that I want to live longer, not just to see my kids grow up, but I want to live longer to see my kids and encourage them in their faith. That I don't, just want to, I don't just want to see my grandkids, but I want to tell my grandkids about Jesus. What if you connect your physical health with your spiritual life so that everything that you do is for God and his glory? Because that's what God wants us to do, Right? Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires because sin is no longer your master. In fact, when he talks about, he says mortal body, the, the Greek phrase there is body destined for death. But that's not you, is it? I mean, you're going to die, you're going to breathe your last, but then you're going to be called back. You're going to be awakened by your Savior. Because he has bought you, and what he has bought, he can call back anytime he wants. And he's going to do that. And so he says, don't let sin rule, rule this. Don't let sin be in control of this. Let God be in control of this. Train your body, right? Here's what that looks like, verses 13 and 14. So do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been bought, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Offering your body as a, an instrument to wickedness, that's not freedom. That's what a slave does. A slave has no control, no, no power to resist, no, no ability to say no. Don't be that. You aren't that. You're worth more than that because you were bought at a price, a very high price, a precious price. Instead of, of overindulgence in whatever, instead of, instead of the, the questionable choices that the world just says, hey, that's living life. What if you recognize that everything that you do is a part, is connected to your spiritual well-being, is a, is a part of using your body so that it's done for God and his glory. Right? Instead of, instead of allowing your, your lips to just blah, 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 with the gossip that's floating around. Instead of using your tongue to, to drop curses, to throw around ugliness, to speak hurt, what if you trained this to 
be an instrument of righteousness that builds up, that forgives, that encourages, that fosters kindness. What if instead of letting your eyes wander out of lust or out of envy for people's stuff, for people's lives, what if you used your, used your eyes to see the beauty of God all around you? To see people that God loves that you get to show compassion to, kindness to, generosity to. See, God wants you to use your body, all of it, as an instrument for his righteousness. But, but understand, that doesn't just mean like the right way, do the right thing and not the wrong thing. Because there's actually a little bit bigger picture to that. It, what God means is that you, every part of you, reflects God's glory and God's love. Here's what that means, our last takeaway this morning. That my life, both body and soul, that's really important, belong to God. He bought them at a price. And he wants to use my life as his instrument for his purposes. So remember that. When you think it doesn't matter what you eat or what you drink or how much you eat or how much you drink or what you smoke or how much you smoke or what you, what you do, how much or how little exercise you get or what pills you put into your body or any of these other things that affect your physical well-being, Keep that in mind, that God bought all of this and he wants me to keep it in shape, not for my glory, but for his. To be this thing that he uses for his good purpose. Maybe a couple of Bible passages, if you are, are looking to identify, identify and validate and align this internal struggle, Bible passages to align your heart with, right? 1 Corinthians 10, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You were bought at a price, therefore, as a result, honor God with your bodies, Right? So what does that look like? What's the habit you're going to put into place? That's not for me to tell you. Because we've got like 85 different people in here that all have different bodies. Some have different strengths. Some have different weaknesses. Some have different like trick knees and shoulders that pop out, right? Some have different Im immune deficiencies. Some have different allergies, different struggles, physical struggles, right? Thyroid things, all kinds of stuff, right? Sicknesses, diseases, cancer, all kinds of stuff. It's not for me to tell you what you should do. But I want you to think about two questions. And we're going to talk about this in our life group Bible studies this week. How do I, when I understand that my physical well-being affects my spiritual life as well, what does that mean? So Two questions I want you to think about. How will you treat you when you understand how precious you are to God? And secondly, what one thing can you do? What just little step, what tiny habit today and tomorrow and the next day 
and the next day. What one little habit can you put into place that shows you understand those Bible passages, that point, that you are God's? That your whole life is precious to God, not just your soul, but your body too. And that he wants you to be his instrument that he uses to let people know about him. To make his righteousness, his goodness, his glory, and his love known. Because I think it's really important that we start to think in those terms. That this isn't some broken shell that just is going to keep sliding down. I'm, I'm over the hill, right? It's not getting any better. But to think about what I eat, what I drink, what medications I take, how much exercise I get, how much sleep I get, how all of those things affect my physical health, my emotions, my attitude, and how all of that then shows, reflects in how I give God glory. Because it does. God wants you, all of you, to be his instrument for his purpose because you are precious to him. Amen.